But to hear Kobayashi tell it, anybody could have worked for Soze. You never knew. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Alrighty, hello and welcome to the Convergence Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Minch. And I'm Caleb Metz. And today we've got for you, uh, if you just heard from, uh, that was from the movie The Usual Suspects, uh, 1995 movie, uh, and the quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So we are talking today about biases, especially bias in the science. So we'll give a quick intro of what this looks like and how you can help spot it. So a little bit about the quote, uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world ever exists. I think the same can be said with bias. The greatest trick that bias ever has pulled on us was convincing us that there is no bias and doing science as such uh, can inflict a lot of harm in the way we interpret science and seek truth ultimately. So I think identifying the bias is the first step to overcoming it and trying to minimize it. So uh, Kale, why don't you introduce us to the problem of scientific bias? So a big problem with scientific bias is a big deal comes with the scientific method and what it entails. And in Scientific American, which is a... Um, it's like a news source. Yeah, it's like science. a news source for science. Very says that the scientific method attempts to minimize the influence of bias or prejudice in the experimenter. Even the best intentioned scientists can't escape bias. It results from personal beliefs as well as cultural beliefs, which means any human filters inf- filters information based on his or her own experience. Unfortunately, this filtering process can cause a scientist to prefer one outcome over another. For someone trying to solve a problem around the house, succumbing to these kinds of biases is not such a big deal. But in the scientific community, where results have to be reviewed and duplicated, bias must be avoided at all costs. Yeah, so we see a lot of this uh, nowadays. People are going back to old papers, trying to replicate them, and just can't do it because the way that their bias has brought them to the experiment, they're interpreting the results completely different than how someone else would have. So we see a lot of contradictions, a lot of people saying, well, how can we know anything is true, uh, really? So that's where this big problem comes in. And psychologist Brian Nosek from the University of Virginia has been working on the problem of biases in the sciences. And he's come to the conclusion in one of his papers that the most common and problematic bias in the science is motivated reasoning, which is pretty much to say we interpret observations to fit a particular idea or a worldview we bring to the bias. So some examples of this might be uh, if you're a Christian young earth person, you're interpreting some data from that perspective. Uh, You might interpret carbon dating to be wrong or faulty, or if you're coming at it from the opposite side, uh, you could interpret everything through an older Earth, uh, interpreting it through the lens of evolution, uh, saying this thing must have evolved because that's what my worldview has in store for it. Uh, you can even go to extremes like Buddhism. We were talking about spirit and mind a few weeks ago. If you're a Buddhist going to science, which there's not too many of those, but uh, you go to science and say, oh, this must have a spiritual application to it because physical stuff's not even real. Why are we studying it? So that's really one of the big motivators behind these motivated reasoning. <laughs> that, was a, that was a play on words. Uh, so really we're going to tackle the idea, is it possible to avoid bias? Uh, and the, f- the answer is definitely no. It's, it's definitely impossible to avoid bias, but we're going to dive in a little bit deeper uh, into ways that 
as a Christian, we should be striving to avoid bias in our work as scientists. And also some of the preconceptions that the scientific method had that are trashing us on this topic of bias and really hurting a lot of scientists by thinking that they're unbiased when really they are. So uh, we're going to, Kale's going to give us a quick intro of the scientific method and we're going to show a little bit of why uh, the scientific method as called by a lot of scientists, the only way to do science, uh, how it has a lot of assumptions that do involve bias uh, and then they're kind of hiding the bias and we really want to bring the biases to the light so that you can know and acknowledge your bias so you can change it ultimately because that's what we'll find later that's what we're called to do so right so we start with scientific method step one is making observations so if you're making observations of the natural world stuff that you might want to study you look around and see what you might want to study and you're just making general observations of it and then after making those observations step two is ask questions ask questions about why you see certain things ask it about maybe this is it something that i could research next is step three where you form a hypothesis um, that's after you've obtained some data from making observations and asking questions you go through process of obtaining data and you form formulate a hypothesis and then you um, make predictions based on the hypothesis and say, okay, I think that this will, this will happen when I do this. And you use that data you have, usually the data you have making these observations is already literature that's been written about what you might want to study, some background information. And then you start the experiment, whatever that entails. Like if it's chemistry, you're mixing like two solutions together or trying to create a certain product more efficiently or with biology you're trying to manipulate genes in a certain animal or plant and then you take your experiments and you take the raw data and then you analyze it and you see what 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 do we see what does this data tell us and then based on the data you accept or reject your hypothesis that you originally made and after that you share your findings because the whole point of research is to share with other people so they know what's going on so each step of the scientific method uh, does have a certain amount of bias uh, incorporated into it, some more than others. So we're going to go through each step and sort of show you what kind of biases are there. So, Caleb, what kind of biases might we find in making observations uh, in the scientific method? Well, you could just observe what you want to observe and not necessarily everything that's involved. Yeah, just observing, like there's the uh, inattention blindness. Uh, for example, I watched a video in psychology where... It tell the teacher will tell you beforehand count how many times they pass the basketball and everyone's passing the basketball around in the video and so at the end you're like oh i got it 13 but he's like did you see the giant gorilla that walked through the middle of the stage i'm like what there's a giant gorilla like we only see what we want to see and what our brains want us to see so that's heavy bias in the making observations to even before you even start doing the physical science stuff so uh number two ask questions yes this is also Questions are all formulated based on preconceptions you might have about something. Uh, you could be asking, is water wet? Uh, not knowing that water is not wet. Like Questions have a lot of preconceptions that could be wrong about them. Like saying, who created God? Uh, that has a preconception that God is a created being and that everything in the universe is created. It's like someone with like a naturalism uh, person would say that question. So that also brings in a lot of bias to it. So number three, how can a hypothesis be biased? It might not be as obvious, but... 
Yeah, so a hypothesis is you could say something that you feel like already might happen based on, like, reading of other literature. And you could have it biased on, like, your it to manip- kind of manipulate the hypothesis. You could be you can manipulate the hypothesis to be always true no matter what your outcome is. Yeah, yeah there's, there's different ways of wording things that you could accept or reject. I think also with that, uh, choosing literature that like you already know will support your hypothesis to do your background research on is also a huge form of bias. Like you might be choosing these papers. They might not be as good as other ones because they have low sample sizes or they're done in weird conditions or different conditions on your own, but you're using those because you know they'll support your hypothesis. And not enough people are looking through these old papers to make sure they're legit because there's such an inflow of papers they don't really have time to do that for all of them so uh the experiment itself heavy bias comes in here uh what are some ways you might be able to induce some bias into an experiment well you could manipulate the way that you do the experiment like you could do it so it's as a certain outcome that you want not necessarily is fair or has everything covered i think doing something unrandom is Mm -hmm. a lot of times that people don't even know that they're having a bias like oh i just selected like 10 people but they're all my closest friends and they all share the same viewpoints as me for a survey that's not good results because it's not random and even when you're in the field throwing down quadrats and different things to collect samples you want to spin around i mean that's the way i did it in environmental science we someone would spin us around in a circle we'd close our eyes and we just chuck a thing chuck the quadrat rope and wherever it landed that's the area we studied so just inducing randomness into your study is a good way to reduce bias but a lot of times the lack of randomness induces a lot of bias uh now analyzing the results uh this is probably one of the most important steps that can be uh plagued with bias uh i think some of the ways we've got you can analyze your results based on what your worldview is uh some people have already thrown out certain hypotheses that can't be true such as like a god hypothesis uh like if you ask the question how did the beginning of the world how did the world begin uh, and you've got the big bang as one hypothesis you've got the world never began it always existed on a time continuum as another hypothesis but you're leaving out other possible hypotheses such as god created uh, the God hypothesis for that one. So your worldview could really shape the way you interpret your results by putting it into these narrow boxes when in reality the issue is a lot more complex than that. So the last step, share findings. How can that be biased? Uh, you could share it to only certain people. Like sometimes you don't necessarily will share to everybody and make it free. And yeah. Just who you share it to. You could share it to just your colleagues that you know will agree with you, not necessarily people who don't agree with, like, your findings. They've got, like, um, their findings contradict your findings. Yeah, there's a lot of journals that are, like, easier to publish in, I guess, and also a lot of controversial articles, maybe. If you have good data, but you don't necessarily want to share it with people because you might lose your job or something at a prestigious institution, so you might not share it with that many people more bias but boom boom all right so now that we know that the scientific method is riddled with bias science is riddled with bias everywhere there's plenty of places one way that is thought to minimize this is maybe throw some ai in there maybe some robots uh doing the science would limit the bias but let's see 
uh, what we've got from IBM, their, uh, what they have to say on robot bias. Uh, they say in their website, within five years, the number of biased AI systems and algorithms will increase, but we will deal with them accordingly, coming up with new solutions to control bias in AI and champion AI systems free of it. So I think IBM here is really enforcing some sort of natural selection of non-biased AI robots, which I'm not really sh too sure how they're going to do this, how they envision that. I haven't had a talk with the IBM people. Uh, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show. That'd be awesome. But uh, I think I actually know a guy who works at IBM, maybe. It might be IBM. I don't really know. But yeah, even robots have biases uh, because the person who made the robot has bias. And you can never... You can never go back. It just keeps going an endless cycle. I don't know. What do you think would be the most unbiased robotic way to do an experiment? I have no idea. Maybe just make it all just one math equation. But then that could be biased by what the outcome can be. Like just have like the robot run like one math equation. But yeah. Or algorithm. But then sometimes with like algorithms algorithms and stuff like that you have one outcome come out which then it would be you imparting the bias on the robot yeah but there is not as much bias in I that mean, as maybe, maybe not ai robots because generally those are the ones because they're artificial intelligence they can kind of think on their own and kind of have some sort of bias i would say maybe non-ai like computers yeah all right. But they were still designed by humans, yes. which have bias. So really, you any way you put it, there's bias everywhere. It's kind of the same sort of idea in philosophy. You can't have an argument for every belief you have because an argument, you need two supporting beliefs to, or one thing, one statement to support another one. And you just keep going back in time. And there's eventually going to be this one statement that has nothing to support it. And it's just an assertion. So eventually... You maybe have a robot, create another robot, create another robot, have this weird inception robot creation factory, but you still have bias because there's n who created that first robot? It's a human, so an intelligent human that creates robots like Wally. Uh, so now we're going to go into some biblical integration. What does this all mean? Why should I care about bias, honestly? And how should I? Why should I care about limiting it if it's everywhere? Uh, it could be common questions that come up. So. What I see when I look into the problem of bias is the problem of favoritism uh, shown in the Bible and its detrimental effects on multiple generations, Old and New Testament. Uh, we see the favoritism of Jacob over Esau uh, in Genesis and how that led to uh, Jacob having to run away from his brother after stealing his birthright. Uh, kind of a because kind of a trashy family situation there. Uh, and then you've got favoritism of Joseph uh, by his dad giving him the technicolored coat and ultimately got him sold into slavery so that had a lot of negative effects on him too and also on the father who grieved him as well and then we've also got the church at galatia struggled with favoritism towards the jews uh, and towards more people that seemed holier uh, in galatians 2 28 it said there's neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female you're all one in christ jesus so paul is trying to bring him back together he speaks against favoritism uh, and James as well, uh, when it says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we see favoritism against the rich also being condemned uh, in James. So a lot of times favoritism, I guess, could go with bias, favoriting a result. Uh, 
I sort of see that as similar things. I wonder if do you have anything to say about favoritism and the bias? I think it's pretty similar. I mean, in order for there to f- be favoritism, you have to have a certain bias towards that one group yeah. that you want. So they wanted the Jews because they thought they were God's... Well, they are God's chosen people, but that really kind of changed after the New Covenant and the New Testament with yeah. Jesus. So I think one of the ultimate things to take away from this is from Deuteronomy, actually. We're going to see look into part of the nature of God uh, commanding his people. So he says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. That's uh, Deuteronomy ten seventeen. So we see in this that God is the only non-biased being in existence, really. Uh, God is the one who created everything, and God is the only one who has no bias whatsoever because he is the supreme deity. Uh, so from this, we can extend it a little bit further. If we're called to be Christ-like, uh, and Christ and God, Trinity, all of the same people. Uh, so if, we, if we're called to be Christ-like, we should be trying our best to mirror God's characteristic of unbias, as we're going to call it, because I'm not really sure what the adjective opposite of bias is. Is that impartial? That sounds like a word. Uh, so... Really, I guess as scientists, this this idea of God being a God of unbiasedness, no partiality, I think we should apply the same thing into our lives. Uh, if we're trying to be more like Christ, we want to be unbiased uh, in our work as well as how we treat people. And so I think one of the applications for this as a Christian could mean scrutinizing your worldview, worldview I guess diversifying maybe your lab. If you're working maybe in an all-Christian lab, bring in some, bring in some people with opposite worldviews. Uh, I was watching a talk actually the other day between John Lennox. Uh, he's a professor at Oxford of mathematics, and he was talking with Peter Atkins about can, his new book, Can Science Explain Everything, which might be the book recommendation. I have another one up here, but that's a really good book. I haven't actually read it yet, but the cover looks nice, and I'm a big judge of the covers. It's just <laughs> that's just that's just how I roll. Uh, cover design always is good. Uh, and that's biased yes i do have a bias towards that there's some heavy bias in this podcast episode also if you didn't know that uh we are not perfect here on the convergence podcast we try to be unbiased by covering diverse topics with diverse people on the show but it's impossible to avoid bias but we try our best from pulling from different sources and stuff so diversity is a good way to combat extensive bias but it can't get rid of all of it and so anyway on the show uh John Lennox brought up the point that uh, they're asked a question uh, if you open yourself to other viewpoints uh, that oppose yours. And he said all the time, uh, that's what he'll do. It actually strengthens his faith. He would open it up uh, to other people to come in, I guess, and hear other people's ideas and then compare them, test hypotheses, uh, sort of do the scientific method, but in a more serious worldview sort of stance. Uh, and he does this to like eliminate bias. Like now he understands these worldviews and he's done logistics on each of them and still holds to his Christian conviction. So I guess doing that can lessen your bias, if that makes sense. You're scrutinizing yourself to other worldviews. You're open. Uh, in a recent discussion uh, between him, uh, Peter said that he didn't actually, the atheist side of the argument said that he doesn't openly do that he doesn't see any reason to rethink his if you remember from a few episodes ago metanoia he doesn't see any reason to rethink his thinking because he thinks he's right which is a lot more biased than uh, repenting of your thinking so 
And as Christians, we should try to be the least biased as you can be while still stating your bias. You need to acknowledge that you do have a bias coming from your worldview and that you need to, well, as Christians, we need to, we can use that. Um, we can accomplish like by bi negative bias by having diverse group thinking, um, ha best theology and best science is never done alone. You have to do it together with, um, community. community yeah. And avoid bias by following the, some uh, the scientific method, but the scientific method as it's supposed to be. And, taking like random samples and making as random as possible. But one thing I wanted to add about like God being non-biased is he's non-biased towards like people, but he is biased. You could say he's biased against evil. Well, yeah, that no, <laughs> maybe. I mean, biased, good versus evil. I think on a level, I think he's just in doing that because you've got, because he's justified in being biased against sin, I guess that's a holy that's a holy characteristic. It goes against his nature. I'd say God is contradictory to evil because he yeah. can't be evil. So right. therefore he can't have a bias against it. But I don't know. These are deep theological questions. Ask your Bible professors, ask your youth leader, maybe. Um but also going off of the second point, uh, a lot of the worst theology and the worst science has been done alone. That's like the opposite of uh, you've got you could think of Joseph Smith by himself finding the golden plates in the ground, not telling anyone, translating them all himself, and then you come out with a new religion that's kind of crazy. I mean, I'm part of EMI, and there's a lot of a lot of weird things going on uh, within that the Mormon religion. But then you've also got uh, the best science, like doing something alone can open you up to so many so many flaws and so many ways that you didn't think you were wrong, but other people could easily see it. That's why there's so many of these papers that are getting called back. And they're like, nah, this is, he'd use some wrong algorithm here. He used some wrong variables. So I think doing stuff in community and especially a diverse community is huge uh, in limiting your bias. And right. Yeah. So uh, one discussion question we wanted to go over real briefly here, uh, just because it might have come up during the show in your mind. Uh, we're going to, attempt to read your mind and we're going to say that this is probably the highest question that came up so uh if everything is biased how can anything be true and this sort of sounds like a relativist question uh to me at least does it does it sound like that to you as well kind of but when you think of bias the definition of bias no matter what you're going to have it because you have everybody has a different worldview. But that doesn't mean there's nothing true, because bias doesn't mean doesn't depict on what's true. It could be what you perceive as true, but it doesn't mean there's not truth, because you could be wrong in that. Yeah, I think there's always like right and wrong is difference from bias and unbiased. Like just because something like a jury is unbiased about something doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be make right the right decision the because they might not have the knowledge, which knowledge is a preconception of knowing right from wrong. We saw the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They needed to eat the, the fruit before they knew good and wrong. So I guess also a lack of knowledge could lead to knowing being wrong but being unbiased and uh, vice versa. So, so really I don't think bias has a lot to do with being true or false, but I d it definitely can play a role uh, in proving something's false because if you can prove something has a lot of bias behind it, 
uh, then it's more likely to be false than something that maybe doesn't have as much. So uh, I think that's all we've got for you today. Uh, book recommendations. I said one earlier, uh, Can Science Explain Everything by John Lennox. It also does address the idea of bias in science. But also we've got a book uh, more on, if you're more uh, psychology uh, side of things, it's called The Blind Spot, which is the hidden biases of good people. So it goes over a bunch of different people and how they have biases that they need to identify because uh, it's a good thing to identify our blind spots and to constantly be rethinking our thoughts and ideas because that's how we'll ultimately grow as people. So uh, those two books are the book recommendations for the week. Uh, be sure, thank you guys for listening. Uh, be sure to tweet us at Convergence Podcast BU. Uh, we're thinking of doing another listener question episode one of these days. So we'd love to have your questions, comments. If you want to be on the show, I think we've got a guest next week who actually uh, talked to us and asked if you want to be on the show. And we're like, sure. So we're super open about that. You've seen Nate on here a few times. Uh, so we're really open to people on the show. So remember to tweet us if you want that or text us. If you have our number i'm not giving you that because i don't want to get spammed by a bunch of random people but that thank you guys for listening this has been the convergence podcast